You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. Each week, you'll hear from remarkable guests who have overcome challenges and obstacles to succeed in the face of adversity. By listening to their stories, you'll get practical tips, tools, and resources you can implement today to bust through your own internalized prisons of worry and doubt. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Hi there, this is Sarah Box, and welcome back to another episode of the No Labels, No Limits podcast. And in this episode, we are wrapping up our five-year celebration. We're going to speak with four women, Erin Oath, who's going to talk to us about creating connections through community building, um, where she explores the Enneagram as a tool for personal growth and long-term impact. We're going to speak with Elisa Preston, who really learned to unpack the power of motivation through the Enneagram and her passion for the military community. We're going to also talk with building our confidence with Jen Whitmer. So really discovering confidence in who we are through the Enneagram and then letting that shine. And then we're going to wrap it up with a conversation with Stacy DeVries, who uses the Enneagram for working with children who are at risk or in challenging situations in their lives so that they can thrive. So I hope you enjoy this episode and we'll look forward to seeing you again. Um, But let's start going back a little bit. Can you talk a bit about your journey from working with students in university to starting your own company. I mean, going from a huge university system and then being an entrepreneur is a jump. Mm-hmm. How'd you get from there to here? Oh, it, it has been a journey. And yet at times it also seems like the next natural step as well. So I first learned about the Enneagram probably about 10 years ago um, when I was working at a university in Texas and was just really drawn to it. It was really helpful for me. I can be a professional development guru. So tell me about some workshops and I'm there to soak up all the information. And I thought it was just this other cool thing. Um, But then I I was really struggling to navigate some relationships, some work relationships. I just felt there were tensions and these were relationships I really cared about. And so I started looking to the Enneagram for some suggestions of the dynamic. Uh, between those numbers. And it was like seeing on black and white paper the dynamics that were playing out. That was transformational for me because it allowed me to see what patterns I was bringing to the situation. And it also allowed me to see what could I do differently? How might I engage? How do I want to intentionally respond uh, to break the cycle or to offer a new pathway Uh, for myself and for the relationship itself. And that's when I really started finding the Enneagram useful on a much deeper level. It wasn't just something for professional development. I found it as a real tool for personal growth and something I kept coming back to over the years. 
Um, it's definitely influenced my work with students. I am a community builder and I think a lot about what does it mean to build community and create spaces uh, for people to connect with each other. Um, my, my goal is to give people tools, support resources that they need to succeed. And I often find I am a connector, that I'm, I'm a person that brings people together in a similar space. And so the Enneagram has been really helpful to me in understanding the different lenses in which different people come to that space, the different ways that we see and understand the world around us. But it also has given um, a tool for connecting with people that might see the world very differently from me. And that has just paid so many dividends in the work that I do. Um, in the more recent, the actual transition from, from the university setting uh, to my own business, uh, part of that is, is a result of some life transitions that my family made. Um, in higher ed, I often say you get to choose the work that you do or where to do it. You don't often get to choose both at the same time. Um, and so my husband and I relocated this summer um, to Greenville, South Carolina for family reasons. And I really didn't see job opportunities that were in line with the work that I really care about doing. Um, I also know that the work that really feeds my soul is more of this creative, generative, one-on-one -on -one work. Um, and so then I discovered the opportunity to do some more with, uh, with the Enneagram, to pursue coaching. And it seemed like a natural, a natural progression to me, something that had been really useful to me and my personal and working relationships um, and also something that allowed me to continue to do that community building work through a different lens now working at the individual level to help individuals reconnect with themselves and with each other so my goal is as an enneagram coach to actively work to create more of those spaces where we can reconnect with what's going on inside of ourselves that we can come to a deeper understanding of who we are but also that we can reconnect with the people that we care about, reconnect with the world around us. Um, right now in our current climate, there just seems to be so much divisiveness and so many forces that seem to be ripping apart communities and tearing us, separating us from each other. And uh, my hope and my goal with my work is to be a part of rebuilding some of that, helping us find our ways back to each other again um, because I think we're all better together. We are better when we're in community with each other and we need those connections in which to thrive. We are human animals that are social. <laughs> right. um, but I do want to ask you because this in my work, especially when I'm working in the nonprofit communities, um, but also just in general, you hear the word community, community builder being used a lot. And I think depending on who I've spoken with, they may interpret that differently from one another. I mean, I think the broader concept may be similar, but when it gets into the nuances, they talk about it differently. So in your mind, what does it mean to, when you say to build community, what does that mean? Does that mean we're all walking around doing kumbaya or what's it mean? What a great question. Um, I, I, I feel like I, have, I could speak volumes on this. Um, Go ahead. Community is all the ways that we come together. It is the ways we come together, the neighborhoods in which we live, the larger cities and communities that are there. But now communities span. They're not just physical space anymore. They're connections online, across geographic barriers. 
we have communities within our different identities, all the different ways we connect with each other. And the power of those communities is not that we all agree with each other, um, it's that we flourish together. It's that we come together to solve a problem or we come together because we have a common bond or a common uh, interest, a common something that, that pulls us together. And that can be a, as broad out as our common humanity, but it can also be, uh, it, it, it can be this rich, diverse and flourishing space when we see and can take advantage of the gifts of each other. When we see ourselves as part of a larger whole and not just as a passive recipient, but an active co-creator of that community. Um, you know, there's been a lot of people that have written about the, the producer versus creator concept in communities. And so many of us are just consumers. Um, but when we actually see ourselves as creators, when my students see themselves as part of a campus environment and they suddenly see that they have something unique to offer that campus that they bring to that student organization or to their classmates. They bring a perspective and a lens, a way of being in the world, um, but they also bring their own life experiences, their own personality, their own talents. Um, and when we can see those things and we can see how we each need what others have, um, then we see ourselves as part of this rich and diverse place where we can solve problems. We have the benefit of collective wisdom and judgment. We are better than any one of us are individually because we can take advantage of all those different lenses and all those ways of being in the world. Yep. So um, you talk about how limiting beliefs can be so paralyzing, right? And that you really like focusing on the why, the motivation, the reasons, right? Talk about that and how you approach that in your work. Sure. So um, that was kind of two questions. So the first part of the paralyzing and how we just get stuck in these thought patterns. So when you read about the Enneagram and you learn more about where your childhood message came from. So for example, for the five, the childhood message is it's not okay to be comfortable in the world. So I have to meet my own needs and I have to learn everything I can in order to meet my own needs. And then you need to do the same. You need to take care of yourself. Well, that can be really paralyzing when you blow two tires on the side of the road and you don't know how to change just one spare, let alone two. So raise your hand if that's happened to you. And I'm raising my hand right now. And so thank goodness for cell phones and beautiful friends who come to your rescue when your husband's away at a military school. And if I had, if I stayed in this position of, I don't need anybody. I can learn everything I need to learn in order to live my life and live it well. I mean, not only is that so completely false and not how we are hardwired truly like in our true soul selves, but it's dangerous and it's unhealthy and it's lonely. And so, and that's just an example of the fives. Uh, we can go to another number. We can do ones. They're the perfectionist or the reformer. And they get stuck in this pattern of thinking that everything has to be perfect because if it's not perfect, it's not good. And that translates to, if I'm not perfect, I'm not good. 
good meaning clean, righteous, and pure. I don't want to be any kind of irredeemable. And the very nature of humanity is the fact that we are not perfect. And it brings so much shame upon ourselves when we can't see how imperfect we are and when we get stuck on our mistakes. And so I love when people look through, cause we go through guide sheets and I love when we start going through these guide sheets and they see, Oh my gosh, this thing that I have always said to myself, that's just a part of my personality and I can change it because even though I'm a personality trainer, one of my taglines is the personality is not the be all end all. You can't, once you learn about yourself, you can't stay there. You have to, you know, elevate yourself. Um, as you learn. And so people read about themselves. They see that they're not strange, that they just are who they are. And then you get to, you get to kind of like pick, you get to say, you know what? I don't, I don't like that. I've been stuck in this thought pattern for so long. I can change that now. And so we just learn how to change our language. And sometimes we change our perspectives completely so sometimes it's a 180 language shift and sometimes it's just you know a little step to the right or the left what do you typically work with elisa uh so far i have worked mostly with women in their 30s and 40s um i've had one woman in her 60s and then i'm just getting started into groups so and groups i mean it can be you know any range of uh any range of gender, but then also age, we like to keep it like 18 and above at least. So what is most fun for you though, when you're working, do you like working one-on-one or in groups or do you have a preference? Oh, the preference would depend on my mood of the day, honestly, but I'm 50, 50. I, I mean, I was a school counselor before, so I really like the one-to-one aspect But one of the reasons I loved being a school counselor is because you got one-to-one and then you also got to teach so much. That was half of my job. And I worked with military families for nine years. And so I loved it. And I loved the parent workshops. I got really into teaching um, brain development for uh, young children, like to their parents. And I love that. So, and I love playing games and I like short spurts of speaking in front of people. And so I'm really 50, 50. I love it all. I just want, I just want people to feel better. (laughs) So however I can do that is really okay with me. Not to be pigeonholed in one box or limited yourself. Um, So I'm thinking about your unique positioning with, you know, with both your knowledge as being a school counselor, um, having that background in teaching and also being in a military community where there are these places where people can feel stuck. You know, maybe they're outsourcing or coming back out of the military. And that's been the identity for so long. And you can assume that's what you have. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious, do you see yourself in the future working more deeply in that community to help with that, whether it's people's roles changing when families come back because they're no longer being shipped off or they're, or they're leaving the military? I just got chills over my whole body. I would be, it would be one of the honors of my life to work with the military community in this capacity. They are such a special population. They have been 
overwork since 2001. And it's just this pervasive chronic stress and trauma cycle that a lot of them go through. And I have such a heart for them. And yes, I absolutely would. So share with folks is that you begin your journey at Oxford with music. So I want to know, how do you get from Oxford to the Enneagram? What is the story there? Okay, so I should say that I spent two terms in Oxford. I did not do my entire undergraduate work there. Um, But yeah, I was studying music and music history, and I was a music teacher. And um, always an Anglophile. So loved being in England, living there. Oxford is one of my favorite cities on the planet. Um, And I loved being a music teacher. I loved the history of music because I love stories. And I love how stories express themselves through art that we get to participate in today. Like some people don't know that Bach has 26 children. How does somebody with 26 children write so much work? Like, how do you be that prolific? Like, what is that about? And I get to connect with that through this beautiful work of art is amazing. So one of the things that hasn't changed is my love of stories and people. And so after I was a music teacher, I had uh, three kids in three years. I I had another one. And then I went back to work as an administrator in my children's private school. So I was, um, had this dream job that I loved in this school that we had a leadership shift that changed everything. And really conflict was the surface symptom of a lack of self-awareness and skill on our leadership. And it was devastating it was devastating and we as a team just couldn't like what is going on and it started to impact all kinds of areas of our life and so I left and it was a really challenging time because I was actually fired but then stayed on for this weird role it was all kinds of difficulty but in that time I started really digging in like what's my role here what is what am I contributing to this difficulty and what do I need to know about conflict because like I said I will moonwalk my way out of a conflict and usually some kind of song and dance so everybody's like hey aren't we laughing now it's great um I didn't know that I was a conflict avoider by covering it up with oh it's fine because at least this is going to happen I didn't know that was a form of conflict avoidance and as I studied I went back to school because again I was an educator that's what we do and uh, so I went back to school and studied and really dug into culture, communication, and conflict resolution. And during that time of professional study, I was personally studying the Enneagram. And I was like, man, this has the depth of the Enneagram as a personality framework changed how I saw these surface level actions of conflict resolution, of cultural differences, of how we communicate. And I could see throughout different cultures, the Enneagram applying because it's about what we're motivated by. And so with those two things together, I started really seeing if I could help people and use my gift of teaching and making these kind of heavy things lighter, because they're so scary and they're so big and nobody wants to talk about it. If I can use those gifts and help people really solve conflict, that's the surface, but really figure out how to manage different personalities. I can really do so much good in a way that people wouldn't have to experience what I did. And I could really help leaders because a lot of times they just are unskilled. And then when we're unskilled, we get insecure, when we get insecure, we get defensive and when we get defensive, we, we tend to hurt people. And so if I could help people not get into that spot, 
that's a really exciting thing to do with my life. So yeah, that's that my story. A pretty story, right? The getting hurt, <laughs> getting defensive, hurting people. Not the story you want to write Mm-mm. or be in. No, no. Yep. And that, you know, I know that it turned for the better, but having to leave under those conditions, especially when you said it was a great job and you had a good mm-hmm. team. And I mean, that must have been heartbreaking on some level. Um, not on some level. Um, on on all every level. On all the levels. Aww. It was. And when, and lots of people have identity jobs, but teaching is an identity job. And um, I was an educator. That's what I did. And to lose that, like, I didn't know how to introduce myself. It was that simple. It was like somebody, when I left, I started consulting with another company and was helping them basically train on writing. Cause one of the things I did was help teachers train about writing again, storytelling. And I was, you know, I didn't know how to introduce myself as that. Like I didn't, I literally didn't know the words to say because I was as an identity and educator. So at my very core, it just was destructive um, in a way that really beautifully got rebuilt. I would rather have not had had that happen, <laughs> but I am grateful for the outcome. Well, and had it not happened, you might not be here today doing what you're doing. <clears throat> Start a bit about your background. I know you're a teacher, a principal. Um, how did you come to know and use the Enneagram? What was the intersection of those things? Yeah, so um, I grew up in Colorado. And after I, when I turned 18, I moved to Canada. And we got married and um, lived a lot of our lives in Canada. And then we thought it would be nice to go back to Colorado for a little bit and be near my family. And so part of that transition was that my husband and I both worked for a therapeutic boarding school. So at-risk youth would come from all over the country and um, live on campus. And I was a teacher there, best job ever. Um, And my husband was a therapist. And so part of the part of the therapy was introducing the staff and the kids to the Enneagram. And so I kind of paid attention and we had a couple of the books on the shelf and I very quickly recognized myself. (laughs) It's not hard to recognize yourself when you first start because it's the number that you like the least probably. Um, Really looking for wisdom in parenting my own kids. And, but then I kind of put it on the shelf and kind of had it in the back of my mind. I knew that I was an Enneagram eight without question. Um, but I didn't really start applying the wisdom until about, I would say three or four years ago, we did a book study of the road back to you by Cron and Stabile, um, at work with our staff. And we tried to take, you know, take a number and present it and learn about it. And, um, it was so pivotal to my understanding, not only understanding myself deeper, but really seeing my family members and my coworkers, um, oh gosh, just really kind of opened my eyes to things that I needed to change and how, you know, why my husband and I were having the same issues over and over again. Um, And so it was so life-changing for me that I, you know, I've always been interested in therapy or, you know, counseling and things like that, but I just didn't have the gumption, you know, being a middle-aged woman to go back to school and get my, you know, get my counseling degree. 
So um, my husband suggested, why don't you become an Enneagram coach? Because that's where it all started for you anyways. And I thought that is brilliant. So, so that's what I did. I went through the training um, in typical eight fashion, you know, in record speed and um, started building my business. So now that's kind of a side gig. I'm, I'm a little afraid to apply myself too much to it because I know that it will, it can blow up as quickly as I want it to. And I still have to, you know, pay attention to my full-time job. So it's been great though. I, it's very life-giving and um, I, I eventually want to be doing that all the time for sure. So you move it from being your side gig to your full gig, but over time. That's right. And something I can do from, from my van if need be. Absolutely. <laughs> the best part about being location independent, right? Exactly. Exactly. I love it. Let me ask you a question. When you guys presented it at your school, each, you know, on your team numbers, were you presenting your own numbers or just a number? Like you got assigned a number. We, we got to choose. We were not allowed to present our own numbers. So I presented for number four and number seven. And, um, it was, really, it was really fun because I found some things that were meaningful to those particular numbers and incorporated them into my presentation um, with, you know, music and art and kinds of, those kinds of things for the four. And then for the type seven, we had um, fake margaritas and salsa and talked about, talked about the enthusiasts. So, yeah, I can't even remember who presented my number. I'm sure I had a lot of things going on in my mind about what I wanted to say about it, but... I probably held my tongue pretty pretty well, I would think. Well, I really like your approach to doing that because it forces you to learn too, right? You're knowing about yourself, but you're also considering other numbers, which oh, sure. that really is that connection zone when we can understand one another after we know ourselves. Yeah. So, so we're not yeah. fixing the world. Right, right. Yeah. Um, I do want to ask you a question that I ask all our guests. So I'm going to back you up just a second. Sure. Now, given that you're working and doing this, is there something that you do every day that keeps you focused on your own big goals and dreams so that you don't get pulled off of Stacy? I thought a lot about this question and um, I have tried really, really hard to do the things that I know a lot of people do meditation, journaling, yoga, and I just cannot sit still long enough to do those things. I, I, I really give it a good try, but then, you know, five minutes, I'm, I'm kind of done. So I need to, because I'm in the gut triad and I live out of my body, I need to be doing physical things. So I get outside and I walk for, you know, five miles. I, of course, ride my bike, um, which we'll get into later. Uh, my bike is my happy place and I have a great trail right up by my workplace. So I'll just hop on my bike and go up there. And I just like to let my mind just go wherever it's going to go. Um, it's, I, I laugh at myself with the things I think about, but that's really what I, I have to get outside. Um, even when it's really cold, I just find that that is one of the best things for me. And I think the other thing is that my husband also works from home and I rely on him for just kind of a daily grounding. And when I start to get too worked up about things or have a, you know, what I know is the wrong, wrong perspective of something, but I'm not sure why, um, he is a great, 
uh, sounding board, very, very wise man. And so I rely on him a lot in our time together too. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.